Wow. And you're going to hear from a guy today that we're going to partner with as well. Another Claymont graduate. Go Claymont. Yes. Praise God. This guy is amazing. I was saying October, always a missions emphasis month, so we're going to have a few missionaries with us this month, and, and Jonathan gets to kick things off for us today. He's going to talk about his family. Amazing, beautiful family. They have four little kids. Um, Carly couldn't be, Carly and the, and the kids couldn't be with us today because one of them woke up uh, sick this morning, but um, they are incredible. You're going to hear his heart and fall in love with these guys. Jonathan is a worship leader at Mosaic Church, and they just signed. Uh, they've been meeting for a few weeks over in the Monroe Plaza, and their pastor, Rich Van Arsdalen, who used to be the jail chaplain, they just planted this church months ago, right? And um, he is their worship leader. Um, he's also in a band called The Stray, and they perform all over. But what he does full-time is he is part of a ministry called Stand for Truth. If any of you remember or know Bill Ballinger and Break the Gray, Kind of similar to what they do, but Jonathan's going to share the heart for that ministry and his heart, but before he does that, he's actually going to preach this morning. So we're going to hear the word of God from Jonathan. So would you guys please put your hands together and welcome Jonathan Robinson. Well, awesome. Um, I know, I'm hoping that in heaven... Travis, you'll be leading worship. Man, that was, that was good this morning. Uh, so like you said, my name is John, and oh, you got my picture up already. So I'm a part of a ministry called Stand for Truth, and actually the band that he mentioned, The Stray, we specifically pretty much only work with Stand for Truth. Um, and I'll explain more of that later on, but I'm excited to be with you this morning. I got to walk over here too, huh? Um, uh, for a few reasons. One, to, to, to just share God's word with you, to tell you about the ministry, but also to introduce you to my family. So I might have to get used to this. This is a pretty big distance here. Uh, so uh, to my right on the photo is my wife, uh, Carly. Uh, we've been married for seven years, been together for 11. Uh, we were high school sweethearts. Um, and we have a whole bunch of kids. So my oldest son, Ford, he's the one um, just below me. He's five years old. Next to him, if you can tell, the angry, we call him our emo child, uh, he's, he, uh, Emmett, he's three years old. Uh, the one I'm holding is Gwen. She's our only daughter. She's the certifiably cutest child to have ever been born. Um, and then uh, the, the giant three-month-old child, uh, our son Knox, he's, he's three months old, and he is an angel baby, that, that is for sure. He is the easiest baby that we've ever, ever had. Um, so if I look tired, if I sound tired, that is why. That's my family, four kids, five and under. Please be praying for my wife. Uh, that would be much appreciated. Also, that's my team as well. So the guy all the way on the left there is Shane. He's our guitar player. Uh, next to him is JT, our drummer. And the guy all the way on the right is Caleb. Uh, and that's his fiance, uh, Amanda. Uh, Caleb is our bass player. But uh, yeah, so that's my team. That's my family. Um, I'm here for one reason, though, really, and that's to share God's word with you. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll begin there. I've entitled the message of first importance, 
which uh, may sound arrogant for someone to title their own message of first importance, but you'll see why in a moment. Uh, as you turn there, I want you to think about one question. I want to begin with this question. And it might sound like a weird question, but I want you to mentally answer it. And it's this. What is the most important thing that you know? Or, or what is the most important piece of information that you have. So someone might say they're, you know, something personal like their social security number or, or maybe something more practical like your address, right? Because if you didn't know your address, you just have to live in your car or something. I don't know, right? Uh, or maybe something practical like that, that same password that you use for every website online, right? And then sometimes you have to use a Exclamation mark, if it requires you to use a special symbol. Uh, or maybe something meaningful, like, like a childhood memory, or the memory of a loved one that you've lost. Or it could be something that, that's very valuable, right? So something, uh, maybe something like intellectual property. Uh, you know, Google became a multi-hundred billion dollar company because of one particular piece of intellectual property, right? That's their search algorithm. That makes their searches more effective than other search engines out there. What if you had that algorithm? Would that be the most important thing that you know? Well, we don't have to ponder the question long because Scripture actually tells us that there is one thing that is of first importance. There's one thing that's more important than anything else in the world, and that is something called the gospel, and the gospel means, it literally means, good news. And the gospel is all over Scripture, and yet perhaps the most succinct telling of the gospel is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. It's there where I get the phrase of first importance. And we're going to read it together. First, we're going to read the verses ramping up to the gospel. Here, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's saying a few things about the gospel before he says the gospel itself. Uh, so we're going to read, start reading in verse 1. So, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the words I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I deliver to you as of first importance, not second, not third, what I also received. And then here you'll probably see in our English Bibles uh, a colon. So we just read about the gospel. Following the colon, we're going to read the gospel itself. And we're going to take it word by word and phrase by phrase this morning as soon as I'm done praying. God, we just want to come before you this morning and pray for the hearts in this room. Father, we come through these doors. Um, we gather as a body, um, but we bring a lot with us. We bring a lot of weight. Uh, Father, we bring a lot of hardships. Um, Father, we bring a lot of joy as well. Um, but there's one thing, man, that is, that is so central to everything that we do, Father, um, that it lifts the weight 
of those hardships, Father, that brings that joy into our life, and that's the gospel. That's the good news that we have. Father, I pray for the people in this room that, that know that already, Father, that they are even more aware of it because it's so profound. And God, that the people in this room that don't know, Father, I pray that they understand this more, that your Holy Spirit works in their hearts and that they understand who you are. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we just read uh, the verses leading up to the gospel. We're going to read the gospel itself. And so let's take this next section here. And it says, right after that colon, it says, that Christ. So right at the beginning, we see that there's this person at the center of the gospel, and this person's name is, name is Christ, right? And so it's referring to Jesus Christ, as you probably know. And I'm not sure if you, any of you have ever wondered what this word Christ means. And it's actually an English transliteration of a Greek word. That's a translation of a Hebrew word that means anointed one. Um, it also means the Messiah. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll read that there were three uh, different jobs or roles men could have that were anointed, right? So there were, uh, there were the prophets, and the prophet's job was to speak on behalf of God to God's people, and they were anointed for that task, right? And then there were priests, and priests' job were to, their job was to offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people to God, and, and they were anointed for that task. And then there were kings whose job was just to govern God's people, and they were anointed for that task. In the Old Testament, it, it predicted, it foreshadowed, it foretold that there would be one true Messiah, that there would be one true anointed one who would come, who would be the one true prophet that only spoke the words of God, but would be, would be the very word of God incarnate, right? There would be one true priest that not only offered sacrifices on behalf of God's people, but would, that, would himself be that sacrifice. There would be one true king, one that would rule and reign, not just in Jerusalem and Israel, but all over the entire universe. The one true anointed one, the one true Messiah, and that's Jesus. So here, right at the beginning of this verse, to see that there's a person at the center of the gospel is interesting for a few reasons. One, it makes Christianity different from other world religions. It's been said that you can take uh, Muhammad out of Islam and you still have Islam, or Buddha out of Buddhism, and you still have Buddhism, or Confucius out of Confucianism, and you still have Confucianism because all of those religions are all conceptual. They're all based on ideas, right? But you can't take, you can't take Jesus out of Christianity because at the very center of what makes Christianity Christianity is who Jesus was and what he did himself for us on that cross. The rest are just concepts. It's also interesting for a second reason. This person at the center of Christianity, this Jesus Christ, didn't do things normally done by people who make an impact, a big impact on the world. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but someone who makes a really big impact in the world typically does one of three, th three things, right? They'll hold a political office, so president, prime minister, or something like that. Um, they'll lead a military force, like an army or a navy, 
or they'll, they'll pen works of literature that are then spread across the globe. Yet Jesus, um, in his earthly ministry, actually didn't do any of these things. Uh, he didn't hold a political office. He didn't lead a military force. And he didn't write a book. However, this man named Jesus, who had a ministry that lasted about three years, made such an impact in the world that history literally hinges on when he lived. Right? We say we live in 2019 because 2019 years ago, Jesus lived. Amen. <laughs> so let's keep reading. Christ, that Christ died for our sins. At the middle of the gospel, it's not just about Jesus, but it's about his death. And that may sound like bad news, but it's given to us in such a bad context, or it's told to us in such a bad context, but that it's actually good news. And here's the truth, here's the truth, that every one of us that has ever been born, who has ever lived, except for Jesus, to the core, we are sinners. We were created to love God, we were created to follow God, to serve him, and the truth is we've done the opposite. We, we've turned from God, we've rebelled against God, And we've, we've lost it. And if you're tempted to doubt that at all, if you're tempted to doubt that we're just born sinners, born selfish, uh, taking ourselves and putting ourselves into the center of the universe rather than letting God be that center, I'll just ask you. Um, when you get that, that family photo or that, that team photo or that class photo, who's the first person you look for? yourself. Yeah, you don't even have to tell me. I know. You know, you look for yourself. When you, when you go, when you pull into a restaurant, uh, and, the, you know, there's a lot of people there, and you pull and you see some other cars pulling in, and you're like, all right, let's hurry up. Let's hurry up and get in line before those other people, so we don't have to wait. It's just because we're inherently selfish, right? Uh, it's just, it's just how we are. Something we often ask students to consider uh, when we're doing our outreaches in public schools is, if we were to take this screen right here, and we would take all the thoughts that you had in the last 24 hours and put them on that screen, how would that make you feel? It'd make you a little sick to your stomach, huh? Because the truth is, and we, we all know it, that within us, there's this, there's this brokenness, right? There's this, this darkness that's within us, and that's our sin. And because of this sin and rejecting the God of the universe, the relationship that we were supposed to have with God is now broken. It's been destroyed. We're separated from God, and we deserve to be separated from God. We've offended an infinitely honorable God, and for that we deserve infinite punishment. Yet in that context, in this terrible news we then read this good news that Christ died for our sins. And this is beautiful. Packed into this short phrase is, is such depth of amazing truth that, that for centuries, theologians have, 
developed categories to even begin to understand that Christ died for our sins. Is there anyone in this room that likes big words? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, like two people. So, oh, three, four. Okay, so you four and me, we're going to enjoy the next few minutes. Everyone else just hang tight. Uh, so, packed into that phrase, Christ died for our sins, we've come to understand the doctrine of propitiation. Say propitiation. Awesome. Uh, it's an amazing truth that when Jesus died for our sins and the wrath of God was coming down on us, that Jesus stepped into our place and absorbed or propitiated the wrath of God so that it wouldn't come on us. Jesus was also our expiation. Say expiation. Awesome. Expiation means that because of our sin, we are filthy. We were stained before, before a holy and perfect God. And Jesus, when he died for our sins, his blood cleanses us from our filth and makes us holy. When Jesus died for our sins, he became our justification. Say justification. So the Bible talks about how when we stand, we stand in this courtroom before God. And we stand before him guilty of our crimes. Yet Jesus walks into that room and he says, no, I will take their place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus became this perfect, holy person, became our sin, and then he gave us his righteousness. It's that great exchange that Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And when Jesus died for our sins, he became our reconciliation. Say reconciliation. So the Bible explains that we are far from God because of our sins, and Jesus dying for our sins reconciles us back to God. And similar to that is the doctrine of adoption. Say adoption. So it says that we are spiritual orphans without a family, and Jesus dying for our sins, can, then we can be adopted into God's family and be God's children. We can be children of a king. Now, it's been said that there's only one person that can wake up a king in the middle of the night for something as simple as a drink of water, and that's his child. And we can be those children for Jesus. And it's all summed up in one word, and that word is atonement. Say atonement. So when Jesus died for his sins, he made all things right. He settled all scores. He atoned for us. And there's so much packed into this phrase died for our sins. This is the greatest news, and this is the most important thing in the world. So we're going to keep reading here. Uh, next it says, that he, so it says that he died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And all that Jesus did in dying for our sins was foretold. It was foreshadowed for centuries in the Old Testament before any of this happened. Even specific things were predicted, like where Jesus would be born or, or how he would die. And we, this, this helps us realize that, that Jesus is, because we read this Old Testament that was all, all foreshadowing, it helps us realize that Jesus was the, the truer and the better Abraham, who left his homeland on a quest for God. Jesus, too, left heaven on a quest for God. Jesus is a truer and better Isaac, who wasn't just nearly sacrificed by his father, 
but was sacrificed by his Father for us. Jesus is the truer and better Moses who led his people out of captivity. Jesus is the truer and better Passover lamb that was slain on behalf of the people to protect the people. Jesus is the truer and better temple. Jesus himself in his own body is that temple, is that meeting place between us and God. All of Scripture, all of Scripture is about Jesus, and it's about this gospel. So next we read that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with, with the Scriptures. And this is it's this beautiful truth that, yes, Jesus died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. And, and this is different than other world religions, right? Muhammad died. He's still dead. Buddha died. He's still dead. Confucius died, and he's still dead. But Jesus died, and he rose again. And today he's alive and well. He's sitting on a throne. He's ruling, and he's reigning over everyone and over everything. Mm, amen. It's this good news. Jesus is our king, and this is the gospel. So quickly, I'd like to make a few observations about the gospel. Uh, and one of them would be that the gospel is inexhaustibly profound, yet excessively simple. It's been referred to sometimes as uh, a lake. The gospel is a lake in which an elephant can swim and a child can wade. I don't know if you ever noticed this. And the, the greatest minds the last 2,000 years has had to offer, they've written volumes upon volumes of books about the gospel. And you could start today reading those books, and you could live 100 lifetimes, 100 lifetimes and not actually get through all of those books because the gospel is so profound. The second thing I'd like to point out is that it's fundamentally news to be proclaimed, not rules to be followed. It's fascinating that, that even through this good news, there's a common misconception that Christianity is, is just about a list of do's and don'ts, right? And, and Martin Luther King, even, or sorry, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther actually said that the default position of the human heart is that of works, right? It's to, to get and to give what is due. However, the gospel flies right in the face of that and says, hey, that X, Y, and Z that you weren't supposed to do, well, you failed. The X, the A, B, and C that you didn't even know that you were supposed to do, well, you failed at that too. But there's someone who met all of those requirements and more who's perfectly righteous. And even though you failed and you sinned against him, he went in your place and he paid your price for your sins so that you can have his righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the center of why we're here this morning. That's the center of our faith. It's news to be proclaimed. There's this uh, uh, phrase that I've heard a few times that I'm not super fond of, and it's kind of a play on words. Um, and let's see, let's see what it says here. It says that, it says that preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words, implying that it's not always necessary to use words when we preach the gospel. And, and I would just ask someone, how, how on earth would you 
tell someone that Jesus died for their sins and then rose again without, without using words, right? I, I get, I get the, the sentiment that there's, uh, there's moral implications and that our life should commend the gospel, that we should shine our light in that way, that we should live out the gospel, but it's, it's fundamentally news to be proclaimed, and you have to do that with words. It's so important, this good news is so important that it's worth going to a country where they're killing Christians. Um, I heard you guys, you said you support 75 missionaries. Uh, I mean, it's worth it. Uh, And if there's anyone in this room that has an inkling of going into a country where they're killing Christians, uh, man, I would encourage you to do it. I know it sounds scary, but I would encourage you to do it because it's that important. It's so important that it's worth taking a jog to your back fence and chatting up your neighbor about it. It's so important that it's worth, uh, man, taking your coworker out to lunch and saying, no, my treat. Just wanted to get your thoughts on some stuff I've been reading. It's so important. It's the most important thing that we know. It's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this good news. Father, I pray for hearts in this room that you soften, that your Holy Spirit can work, that they understand that you died for them, that you paid for their sins, their deepest, darkest sins that maybe no one even knows about God that you've paid for those, you've taken care of those. Father, I pray for the people in this room that are struggling with fear. Uh, God, that the people that know you, that have your Holy Spirit within them, Father, that, man, that they understand that you haven't given us a spirit of fear. You've given us a spirit of power. You've given us a spirit of love, Father, and of a sound mind. Father, we're so grateful for this good news. In your name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, cool. So uh, I'm going to shift a little bit here and just kind of let you guys um, into what we do in our ministry. Uh, so the ministry is called Stand for Truth, and I kinda, we kind of explained it earlier. I'm in this band, um, and we do some stuff with Stand for Truth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take you through some frequently asked questions that we get. Uh, just to give you some insight. So question number one, there should be a slide. You're on it. Okay, so what is your mission field? So our mission field is public high schools and middle schools, not just here in Ohio, but really all across the U.S. And slide number two, or question number two, what is the vision of your ministry? So the vision of our ministry is to reach unchurched students with the gospel. So you want to get those students that are, for whatever reason, not in a church like this on a Sunday and don't have a chance to hear the gospel on a regular basis. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, okay, I just heard the gospel. I just heard public schools. How are you doing that in 2019? How is that even possible? So we came up with a two-step process to make this work. Um, And so if you go to the next slide... Uh, we, ha- we hold an assembly. So the band and I uh, will partner with a motivational speaker, and we'll hold an assembly in high school. 
Uh, we'll play some music. He'll do some character talking. We're not yet allowed to share that good news, that gospel um, at the school in the morning. That's actually illegal. So what we do uh, is we have the next slide. Go ahead. We have a step two process in our process. Uh, we just hold a concert. So that same day, uh, that same, uh, that evening at 7 o'clock, we hold a concert. We invite the students at the assembly uh, to come to that concert. Um, we got to have a full light show, production, everything like that. And um, basically about halfway through the concert, we just pause and we tell those kids that good news. We tell them the gospel. We tell them that Jesus died for their sins. Um, and just a couple other things uh, after that. Uh, our speakers that we travel with, they all have um, books that plainly explain the gospel and also have their stories. And um, the guy that we travel with mostly right now is a guy named Brad Hertick. It's that yellow book on there. He actually lost both of his arms in a uh, manufacturing accident, and so he has prosthetic arms. Uh, after that, next slide, uh, one really important thing, um, just like we're doing today, we're partnered with local churches. So... When the gospel is shared, we bring, lo we, we bring local pastors up on stage at the concert, um, and we have students connect with them so they know if they made a decision or if they have questions um, or if they just need to grow in their walk, they have a pastor that they can connect with. That's a really huge part of what we do. And question number three, is the ministry making an impact on students? And you might be surprised that we say Yes. The ministry is making an impact on students. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, there's a photo. It's kind of blurry, but you can see that's one of our concerts. Um, you can see the students kind of engaged there. They got their phone lights on. Uh, but the coolest part about that photo is that every one of those faces in that crowd heard the gospel that night. Um, and the next, uh, we got a message from a pastor uh, in New York. I'll just read it for you. After going to the concert, I'm in awe of what you guys do. It was awesome, and the band is second to none, and your gospel presentation is so relevant, and it's real. Uh, I'm so encouraged to know that you guys are doing this all across the nation. I was humbled by the number of teens that were talking to me afterwards. Uh, and that pretty much says it, says it all right there. So on to question number four, how is the ministry funded? Um, the, well, the ministry is funded through a consistent financial support team. We, we're like most missionaries where we have to come, find people to come alongside us, to partner with us, uh, to do what we do. Uh, and then question number five, how can we help? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so you, you can definitely help, and this is what I would absolutely ask of, of everyone in this room, is that you would pray for us. As we, as we go into schools, it gets harder and harder every year. Um, as we go into schools and we try to share the gospel, would you, would you pray for the conversations that we have with administration? Would you pray for safe travel? Um, all of those things, we definitely, we definitely need some, some prayer for sure. Uh, and then, obviously, I would ask, also ask that you consider uh, partnering with us financially. Um, I'm going to be uh, at this table in the, what do you guys call it, the foyer or... Okay, uh, I'll be at the table in the foyer. If you, if you know, if you feel led to give, um, I do take one-time donations. We do take uh, monthly support as well. Um, but I know you guys are given to a lot of other things. So um, it's not expected just to, you know, if you feel led, uh, we would appreciate it. Um, and also, I would always like to say that this doesn't come in place that you give into your local church. You know, that's, that's, that's primary for sure. So 
uh, yeah, that's my ministry. That's Stanford Truth. That's the Stray, um, and that's that's what we do. Uh, I'm all done. Thanks for having me. Before we let you go, uh, Rick. So I've had the privilege of getting to know these young men. They used to practice in our garage, uh, the Zico Project, and I've actually attended some of their concerts. And so what he's describing is really not doing justice to what they're doing. When you walk in the door, you already feel the resistance of the administrators. I mean, they're checking them out and saying, what are you going to say? How are you going to say it? And sometimes they actually throw caution to the wind and actually talk about Jesus Christ in the assemblies. And it was just a privilege to watch from the back these young people who are all kind of sitting together and then while the concert goes on, they're, they're actually in front of these musicians and they're engaged in hearing the gospel. And I don't know about you, but that takes great courage to do what they do. And it's just been an honor to see these young men, because they're young, you saw their pictures, they walk with God, but in a way that you just feel like we have hope in this generation. And, and I've seen him and his family, and I've seen, um, you know, we, we've had some great talks together about just his concerns about humanity and particularly the young people and where they're going and the examples. And so they bear that responsibility greatly. So I'm just going to encourage you to support them. I love them as people. Uh, but more importantly, this is the generation that's raising the next generation of, of, of people. So we're just not putting money into the ministry for today. It's really for the future of our, of our country. Yeah, you know. So anyway, thank you, John, for what you do. Love you very much. Love you too. <laughs> no, stay here. Stay here. Yeah. So uh, Leslie made a really cool observation. We were sitting on the front row, and she said, "This is like the American form of the underground church, because in America, obviously, Christianity is illegal." So it's kind of strange to think of it in that context, but they are presenting the gospel without verbally articulating the gospel. And then hopefully the Holy Spirit is doing his work in these assemblies and drawing these students to this concert to where they have a gospel presentation and students are giving their lives to Jesus. So it is amazing what you guys are doing. And uh, yes, please go back. There's a table out here. Jonathan will be at it. Do you go by Jonathan or John, by the way? What do you prefer? So my wife calls me Jonathan. Uh, okay. Normally when I'm in trouble. So. Okay. So I think I prefer John. Yeah. Okay. Not Johnny. Just John. I'm kidding. It's fine. Um, but go out and see him. And uh, please, please invest in this and partner with them. This is, and it's right out of our own backyard. This is something happening local. And you guys go, how far do you go? I'm, I'm headed to Kansas City after this service. So, I mean, we, we've gone as far west as South Dakota. We've gone to New York, Florida. We've been, we're all over the place. So, yeah. That's awesome. Wow. 
If you could stand with us this morning and extend your hands, Leslie's gonna pray just a commissioning prayer over them and then you guys are good to go. So did you enjoy meeting the Robinsons this morning? <laughs> I just have to tell you thank you. Um, and it is so encouraging. There's someone in this room that has a missions call on your life. Just because we live in Tuscarawas County, you grew up in Yorksville, Dennis, and you went to Claymont. Thank you. We love Claymont. We are representing Claymont at Lifeway, man. And what I'm seeing is that you and Carly have said yes to Jesus. This isn't about you. This isn't about your glory or your fame. This is about sharing the gospel and getting people into the kingdom. And we want to thank you for that. It excites me. It makes, I, I don't know, but I, I'm excited because I think this is going to happen more and more and more out of this body, out of this county. We're going to send missionaries all over the United States and all over the world. And your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids could be the ones to go. The ones in the high schools right now that they're ministering to. And I just, I'm sorry, I get really excited and really passionate when I see, like, we grew up in the same ground. And this ground belongs to him. And these kids and these people need the gospel. And, and I, I thank you for honoring him and just going after it. So I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray over Carly, too, because she's a wife and she's a mom. And she's home with her babies while he's traveling. So could you pray for her? And she has such a beautiful heart. I wish you could have met her. Her and I became friends through a weird way. I'm not going to explain it now, but we became friends before we even met John and before we even knew what he was doing with his ministry. I knew her and her heart is so tender towards Jesus and so willing to give her husband's time to go. It's part of her calling too. So we're going to pray over both of them and over Knox and Emmett and Gwen and wait, Ford. Yes, I got them all right. Yes, they are such beautiful kids. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, so much. Extend your hands right now as we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We cannot thank you enough for saving us. We cannot thank you enough for redeeming us. We can't thank you, Father, enough for sending your son to step in our place. And I thank you for calling John and Carly to follow your call, to follow your lead, to walk in obedience to your truth. Father, I continue to pray abundance over their ministry, abundance over their family, and abundance over the gospel that goes forward from here on out. Continue to reach students' hearts. Lord, I thank you for his obedience to the truth that he's speaking the truth of the word of God, that he's not sweetening it up, he's not calming it down, he's speaking the truth that we without you are headed for an eternal hell. But with you, we can walk into an eternal glory now. So I pray anointing, blessing, wholeness, protection, courage, boldness like they've never experienced before, and I pray for revival to break out in every city that they walk into. Salvation in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just take a minute and pray out loud over this beautiful family. And God, I thank you for Carly. I pray an extra blessing over her. Father, an extra grace over her, extra peace, protection around their home and their family, and every need is met and provided for before they even ask in Jesus' name.
for every one of their babies, God, that they're raising for you. God, I pray an anointing and a calling and and a powerful future for them. And I thank you that you love us so much to bring us together as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, together going after the same mission. And that is that everyone will know you and have a divine encounter with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.